There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And we are very happy to be joined today by a guest. Do you mind introducing yourself? My name is Mike Posner. Mike Posner is in the studio. Yeah. Uh, you may know Mike from uh, his his work as a, as a performer, songs like Cooler Than Me, uh, I Took a Pill in Ibiza. And you may not know him as a songwriter of tracks like Boyfriend by Justin Bieber and Sugar by Maroon 5. I think this is going to be fun. We're going to dig into uh, some of Mike's new music and then, well, we'll see where things take us. <laughs> but let's begin, let's begin with a little listening. Let's listen to some of uh, Mike's new track, Song About You. Tell us just a little about the development of this track. Yeah, sure. I did this one with uh, Dan Wilson and Ricky Reed, cool. who did my album. And yeah, we had a few days in the studio that I was actually a little um, frustrated about because I came to Ricky, who executive produced my album with yeah. about 50 some odd songs oh, wow. that I'd been writing the last year or two. And I needed his help picking, finding the album in that mountain of music. Yeah. And and he's really skilled at that sweet. We did, we listened to all this music. And uh, he said, we got the songs. And, uh, we, you know, we picked like 10 of them or something. And we just saw, I was thinking we are going to like work on them, record <laughs> them and produce them. And then after that day, he was like, and now we're going to write more songs. I was like, and, <laughs> and I was pissed. I was like, man, I don't know. That's the last thing I need is more songs. But he was like, I always do this just to see if there's anything left. Huh. And but I, he hadn't told me that he always does it just to see if anything. I was just in there and I was kind of like, what are we doing, man? Yeah. We need more songs, man. So, anyways, we we worked all day in the studio, Dan, Ricky, and I. We had some some ideas, nothing that really. Um, revealed itself as special to to any of the three of us and and you know it was about maybe five thirty six p.m yeah and, and damn the day was like pretty much over dan was like all right i'm gonna leave soon we're like yeah cool and uh right when he was about to leave he picked up one of ricky's guitars and started playing and ricky i looked at each other like what's that cool. and, he, and and then Ricky just took his iPhone out and recorded Dan playing the... It was an electric guitar, but he just recorded him playing it live with his iPhone. And then I think he sent that to himself. And then Dan did indeed leave. <laughs> and uh, Ricky made his awesome track out of the the voice note. And then we just started writing to it. And Dan sort of came back. We had a, had, had like a song to his riff. So the so that then came back the next day. Gotcha. Yeah. So that riff was sort of the origin point of the whole Correct. of the whole tune. Correct. Form, lyrics, melody. That all came. That all like sort of 
accreted as yeah. you worked on it. Yeah. Is there a specific order in which you start to add those elements, or is it? There's no formula, but yeah. I can tell you kind of how it happened with this song. But I'd love with to hear that, that, yeah. that. You know, yeah, I'll just make it real clear. It's definitely not this way for every right, song. Right. Not for even sure. close. I've written songs every every way. Yeah, for this one, yeah, we he started. To, you know, those things that I just said happen and um i think we had the hook first and we were i was really into like not rhyming you know mm, a lot yeah. of done, i didn't like a lot of rhyming yeah in my career <laughs> and um sometimes it gets in the way you know i did a book of poetry and i found in some ways poetry was a lot more real or like harder in like a detroit sort of way it's harder in that i don't mean more difficult i mean it's like grittier because you just say it so we're we're playing around with not rhyming a lot and i think that's really what makes the song dope to me still is when i listen like in the first verse and say since you've been gone ain't got nothing to do i sleep until noon i wake up and feel bad yeah <laughs> that, that should rhyme but it doesn't and that's really awesome to me yeah and then and then i think i just went in the booth and uh you know i was just sort of freestyling yeah and that's when i got the i just want to unwind unwind everything that makes me feel confined yeah. sometimes i hate sunshine sometimes so i think i think i just like came out i was just like kind of rapping singing. yeah let's actually we have that queued up let's listen to that this is sort of i, I guess a pre-chorus basically yeah yeah Okay, so that's sort of that. That this is all emerging, sort of organically. Yeah, I think we had the yeah. hook. Then I went in the booth, and I was just doing stuff. Yeah, freestyling, and I freestyled that amongst I think a a, a bunch of other things. And and Ricky tagged that, marked that, and we and we used it originally for the bridge. I had this long, meandering. <laughs> it was really like a rant. <laughs> <laughs> we used to call it Psycho Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just me like basically complaining. We had that there for months and months and months. And it was months later. We're finishing up the album. I'm like, that rent sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cool idea, but we need a bridge. So we're at like the final 11th hour, you yeah. know. And then I was like, you know what? It was actually like late at night. Usually we work days. I'm a day guy. Um, so I like to, you know, start. I actually like to start as early as possible. If I yeah. could find, like, if Ricky would have done, I would have started at seven a.m. <laughs> Is that hard um, to find collaborators willing to work? Yeah, yeah. In L.A., <laughs> in the, I think yeah. I heard in Nashville they start oh, really? earlier, but um, in L.A., yeah, you, typically owls, it's yeah. like two p.m. starts. You know, a lot of times. Must be nice. <laughs> it is. Well, yeah, and then people work later. Yeah, for sure. Know? Of course. Um, yeah, it was late one night. We were finishing the album at this point. We needed a bridge, man. So I was like, <laughs> I was goofing around. And another one of our collaborators, Nate Mercero, who produced a lot of my album, he yeah. works with Ricky. Um, he used to wear these shades and, and leave them on the table. And I stole the shades. I put them on. And I was just messing around. I'm like, man, Hollywood Pose is in the building. What up, y'all? You know how I do it. Want to give a shout out to all my homies in Detroit. And everyone's like sort of laughing at me. <laughs> And uh, I was like, man, cue up that bridge. Just hit record. I'll do the rest, man. <laughs> and so you're recording. I, I did the bridge. And so I did I did a style that I learned from Wiz Khalifa, which you, you don't write anything down. Uh, I don't think we wrote anything down for this song. Huh. But this way, I, I explicitly got this from Wiz, which was I would get into the booth. I record the first line. Stop. I think of the second line. I go, okay, I'm ready. I record the second line. Stop. I think in the third line, okay, I'm ready, third line, and just, I did the whole verse like yeah. that. You never write anything down. With that kind of intuitive writing style, what do you think we're getting as listeners? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it saves a step, right? It's a little less cerebral, yeah. I presume, and maybe a bit more instinctive. Right. So I'd like to think you're getting something more raw and less thought out. Sure, sure. Which, um... 
is a color you want to have on your palette. Yeah. You know, I don't do everything that way because sure. sometimes I want to sound like I thought about it, you know, but sometimes not. So in that bridge, not. This whole, whole song kind of, it's not overly lyrical or pedantic or, you know, not like cool words or imagery. It's like, this is just what it is. Yeah. Mm. This is how I feel. Mm. So I have a lot of thoughts about that, the immediacy and the, I don't know, intimacy, I guess, of what mm-hmm. you're describing. And, you know, what you said earlier, too, about the rhyme scheme. I definitely want to come back to that. Sure. So we're going we're gonna to circle back around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's like, let's, I want to get it into more of like what gives this song that sense of in your face immediacy that it's unfiltered or something. It's a little raw. Like mm-hmm. th- those, I think we have those qualities in like some of the production, the way Ricky Reed's drums are a little yeah. crunchy uh-huh. and even staticky. But there's also, I think it's also happening on like some more scalar levels in terms of the realm of form so i want to dig into the form of the song okay a little bit because i think there's something cool happening here and to me that is really crystallized in the way you've structured this song in which the chorus and the verses have the exact same melody (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so i wanted to like spend some time on this idea and think about how that generates a kind of a certain kind of power in the song so first let's just listen to this we can hear it from the very top because the song starts with a chorus Mm -hmm. and then it'll it'll move into the first verse so it's it's a great way to you can hear that the melody stays the same even though the lyrics change correct so let's just let's have a listen to that one more time Now we get the verse with the same melody, new lyrics. So this song is far from alone in using this technique of reusing the same melody Mm -hmm. for verse and chorus and again i think it's like this does a very specific thing this makes music into something like kind of an intense kind of like almost like reciting a a mantra or something Mm. you know there's like this power to it and i think that might be because it connects us to like older forms of music making religious forms of music making and like folk forms Mm. going back to some of the earliest styles you'd hear in America, these would be folk songs imported from like the British Isles. And they would use just the same melody over and over again with different lyrics, kind of like a ballad form, you know, mm. telling a story. A very, uh, like a hugely popular one uh, was this tune called Barbary Allen, which has a million different versions, but they'll all follow the same pattern. Same mm. melody, new lyrics. Let's listen to a little bit. All in the merry month of May. When the green buds they were swelling, young William Green on his deathbed lay for the love of Barbara Same melody, new words. He sent his servant to the town, to the place where she was dwelling. Saying, Master's sick, and he sends for you. If your name be Barbriellen. What stands out to me hearing this is that in a lot of contemporary music, our verses tend to have simpler melodies so that you can build to a more potent melody Mm -hmm. in the hook. Not always, but as a general heuristic. And here, you're getting basically the hook as the verse, just as you're doing in your song. And there's something very hypnotic about it, as, mm. as you pointed hypnotic, out. Hypnotic, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was swept away by our voice. Oh I don't yeah, too that, much that's about Gene, it. That's Gene Ritchie singing that song. Incredible. Sounds incredible. And it's, yeah, it connects us also to uh, a lot of religious music, too. I'm thinking of maybe songs like Amazing Grace 
which we know, mm-hmm. but we can listen to a cool version of this Please. in a sort of Sacred Harp style. Yeah, it's never too much. Yeah. Amazing grace, man. <laughs> well said. Sounds like an accordion. Totally, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we get same music, new lyrics. reminds me of um the big kanye vocal that uh yeah you can also hear on like i was just listening to it's uh, the bon Iver. yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. It, it has that because there's so many singers and it's so tight and almost mechanical it has that sort of auto tune with the sub bass sound in it yeah. except it's a chorus whoa I think, yeah. I think they use like a rack where you can play on the mm. keyboard the notes that you want the other voices to sing mm. and you can like you know, there's a million parameters of how right. many you wanted to do. And right. This is the analog it. version of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, exactly. This is, this is a, a tradition called sacred harp or, or shaped note singing. And yeah, it's very, I like what the word you use, Charlie, hypnotic sort of. Yeah. It's, it's very, you can see how it's connected to prayer and sort of getting into some sort of trance state. The same mm-hmm. music over and over again mm-hmm. tends to do that. And we can give this old style and kind of old fashioned name strophic form, like strophes. You you mentioned writing poetry earlier. Strophe is just kind of a another word for a stanza. So it's the idea that you repeat the same stanza over and over again, I guess, in terms of music. Cool. So as we move into pop, yeah. I think this idea starts to get translated into, you know, the language of, of pop music. And where in these old folk and, and religious songs you just have the same music over and over again. Pop music might tend to vary it up a little bit, but we can still hear this, I think, in songs that use the same melody for the verse and the chorus. And a great example is Prince's I Want to Be Your Lover. Now he's going to break it up with a pre-chorus. And now we're at the chorus, but it's the same melody as the verse. Gosh, that's satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. So very, I mean, a very different world than Amazing Grace. And yet I think that technique still holds it's power you know there's something like captivating about hearing the same melody over and over and over again it's not a flaw of these songs it's like it's a strength right correct yeah one of the things with the song about you that stood out for me is listen the first time i listened through i went back and i was like wait hold on i gotta go find the hook i was like wait okay i'm like looking for that like big build where's that where, where's that hook happening and then i was like oh it's all a hook the hook the is whole- all <laughs> around you <laughs> it's happening all the time and it was you kind are of a- in the hook <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen. This might be overkill. But let's listen. Prince does this also on the song uh, "Let's Go Crazy." We can just check that out real yeah. quick. Never too much Prince either. No, never. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> Don't And then we have a pre-chorus that mixes it up. And then we're back to the same melody, but with the chorus lyrics. Now, 
Prince is a master at this, but he's not alone. Um, <laughs> there's another really cool example of this from sort of pop of yore in uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll start, it'll start right on the chorus and it's going to the verse, but the, the music boss. doesn't change. Man's town. I think this was the second take I read. Oh, really? In his book, I can't remember. Early take. I think they did it. Yeah, I think it was the second take. On take. Yep. Same melody, right? I think I misspoke earlier. It, it starts with a verse and then goes to a chorus and then goes to a verse. And while the lyrics change, the music stays the same. And it's so effective, right? Yeah. Part of what works on this one for me is the verses have more syllables. And they're, whereas the, the chorus, when he's finally saying born in the USA, it's the exact same melody, but he's drawing out mm. each of the notes. So it, it kind of sounds anew. There it, is also another factor to this ooh, working. Oh, yeah. The lyrics have to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and same in uh, furthermore, if if you had lyrics you really loved that you wanted to highlight, mm. that might be a reason to do this technique. Um, because mm. when you switch a melody, yeah. the listener's ear goes to the melody. Whereas you know, like the first example you play, when it's just the same melody yeah. over and over, you can, as a listener, you can zero in on the lyrics and hear them. So if I had something where I'm like, man, these lyrics are hot. I want yeah. people to hear them, which is usually the last thing people hear when they listen. Mm. Usually hear melody, the texture of the song. Mm. Then, you know, if they like those things on a third, on a fourth listen, they might get into more lyrics. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, if I had some words that were important to me, I might employ it. I might be more likely to employ mm. this sort of strophic yeah, you, technique. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can't get a, you can't get away. With using the same melody and having an uninspired second verse, because you're actually going to have bored somebody as Correct. opposed to hey, tune in. Correct. Mm. So conversely, if you have some lyrics you're like not really <laughs> that proud of, maybe you sort of cover <laughs> it up with a lot of melodic no, changes. Let's really take the song in a different. No, direction. well, we have a, we have a, we have um, some album rules. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, maybe we're, there were six of them. We'd post them on the wall. One is, is in the, no no filler lyrics anywhere on the album. Mm. This takes time. Yeah. You know? And, and you being honest with yourself. Mm. Like, uh, you said that because it rhymed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know that in your heart. There's none of those moments left on my album. It took months to get rid of all of them. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so that was like rule number one. There's a bunch of other rules, like no roundhouse kicks in the control room. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that was a common issue in the music industry. It's not common. <laughs> just just my sessions can get a little, a little Street Fighter. Yeah, little uh, I intense. Love that. Let's let's listen to <laughs> let's listen to one more uh, example of this technique of using the same melody for both verse and chorus. This is uh, in one of the most popular songs of recent vintage. Mm. I won't introduce it. We'll just listen. You're going to hear the chorus first and then the verse with the same exact music. I love this song so much. Yeah. I heard this. It was like a first listen. I heard it. I was like, I love it. Cool. I'm going to Spotify. So now we're in the verse. Same melody. When a cop car. Dope lyrics. And I think this is, you know, this song is incredibly successful. And I think that's a big part of it. It just like. That word you use, Charlie Hypnotic, keeps on coming back to me. This song puts you in a trance. It's like waving it's a the, big the part pendulum, you know, in big front of your part eyes. Of it. Yeah. The melody itself is amazing. Oh yeah. And the words are great. Yeah. And they made a smart decision, which is never don't go away from that mm -hmm. until there's the one part. 
where he kind of is a pre right right da-da-da-da. and they, and that's timed perfectly it happens right when you would have got bored with the mm-hmm. melody and then it brings the melody back right after that sort of pre-chorus section yeah um so yeah and I, I just want to highlight you know the strophic technique does not work without having a melody worth repeating right mm-hmm. you know no doubt. And as you mentioned, you know, those moments of variation that give the listener like a little break. Yeah. And that, they, they timed in the right yeah, way. Yeah. Like with Bruce, who was verse, hook, verse, hook, verse, hook. And with this is much verse, or sorry, hook. Right. And verse, long, 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 and pre-chorus. And then back. Mm. that melody let's get one little one little breather. Yeah, you got to figure that out with each song in the studio. Mm. There's a know? balance to it. I like that. Um, okay, I want I want to transition now from from musical form to that conversation we were having earlier about rhyme scheme. Think about how these two things are related in terms of the song telling you a story. Let, yeah, so let's go exact exactly to that place you were talking about, Mike. The the rhyme scheme does not do the things you expect it to do. Let's listen to the chorus first because this does have a very clear rhyme scheme. Put all your stuff in a box in So A, 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 or I should say ooh, 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 (laughs) right? Very clear. But then we get to verse one, and there's this moment where things start to go off the rails a little bit. That's uncommon. Yeah. You've carried the rhyme scheme over from the chorus into the verse and then you destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs> that moment of, of bad is like to but me. It's the best moment. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. The, it's the moment where the whole song just kind of like turns and you're like, oh, whoa, this is this is going in a different direction than I anticipated. And that word bad, you know, it has a lot of meaning. And it's not clever no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's why it's good. It's because yeah. it's the right word. Yeah. It's the right word, but it's not clever, but it's it's how I felt. So say it. Truth is more important than rhyme, yeah. It's more I always believe this. I don't know why, but I've always believed this. Yeah. I remember this song I wrote in college. This is 10 years ago now. It was about my my first crush. <laughs> Somewhere I had the I had the line like 2000 and I was talking about the year 2000, yeah. but I could have said 2004 and it would have rhymed, but I didn't. I just said 2000 because it was true, and so I've always I've just sort of stuck with that ever since. That the truth matters more, I think. I have you know? sorry. I just have to. Ju- I, this is becoming a very sort of poetic yeah. session here. But I just when you were saying that, Mike, I thought of this line from Keats, um, from the poem. In Who's Keats? December. Never heard of him. Oh, John Keats? I'm just joking. No, come on. Yeah, come on. This is, <laughs> got a, we got a poem in our midst. I don't know this poem, though. This is the end of the poem. The feel of not to feel it when there is none to heal it, nor numbed sense to steal it, was never said in rhyme. Ooh. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Chance had, the Rapper said, um... Sometimes the truth don't rhyme. Sometimes the truth don't rhyme. Whoa. From Keats to Chance. I just, I think that you, know, you were saying that feeling bad is there's nothing clever about the line except when paired with the expectation of where we're going, it becomes extremely clever. Well, talk Thanks. about, talk about expectation. Okay, so let's get back into yeah. the, the overall, the global arc of this, of these chorus and verses. So chorus is ooh, 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 right? Verse one is ooh, Add add ooh, so like a b b a. Now let's listen to the second verse. Now is the cold war. Who will call first? Try to be productive. That work I just can't. I miss you a lot, but I ain't coming back. And now in this second and final verse, we have a verse where nothing rhymes. It's a b c d. So looking at the arc over the course of the thing, it's like chorus all rhymes, 
half of the verse, uh, first verse rhymes, and then nothing rhymes in the second verse, mm. which is cool because then it creates this sense of like deterioration almost. And at this point, I think we can acknowledge that it's not like this is a, you know, maybe a, a slight, a somewhat bitter song, right? Or it's capturing a certain mood of like angry, yeah, confused and angsty yeah totally and the rhyme scheme is like giving you that even if you don't realize it it's the rhyme scheme is is the rhyme scheme is breaking down i didn't realize the course of the song (laughs) and it decomposing it works with in this in the second verse where you're having trouble paying attention at work and the rhymes are breaking down it's like you're almost like the mind is sort of scattered and it it connects to the rhyme scheme Mm. or lack thereof you guys are smart (laughs) we just we just Thank you. But you just like, it's cool. You know, when you listen to a song over and over and over again, things emerge that you miss the first time. That's one of the things I love about doing the show is like the yeah. rewards of repeated close listening. Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. All right. Let's take uh, a quick break, read some ads, come right back. And I want to talk about how this song fits into the life cycle of a musician. <laughs> <laughs> There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. (laughs) I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. Because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. All right, we're back with Mike Posner. We just broke down some of the musical and lyrical tricks at play in his new track, Song About You. Now I want to step back from uh, this particular song and think about maybe what this song represents in your career. I want to interject one thing. Interject away. They're not tricks in that mm. none of the stuff that you said was thought about. Right. It was all instinctual. Mm-hmm. It's just things that felt right in the studio at the time. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify. No, that. I appreciate that. Let's say the 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 mix of intuition, calculation, improvisation. Well, and, and then it's really cool hearing how it, yeah. it it plays out for you. Yeah, for me. But I wasn't sitting there thinking I sure. want to make this rhyme scheme deteriorate over the song. I didn't think that, but it does do that. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing what my gut told me to do. I think oftentimes our intuition it knows where to go, both because. Correct. You're a trained songwriter, so you have an intuition of where a song needs to feel that does come from having written a lot of songs. And oftentimes the first gut feel of where it needs to go is exactly what the listener is also wanting and needing or what the song is needing. The overthinking it can uh, often cause a different kind of Yeah, I was going to say the training maybe can get in the way sometimes. Sure. Huh. You know, you you really want to abandon that with each tune and just address it individually. And and are my only guiding light in this stuff is my gut. Yeah. 
I mean, for every decision as far as like how much reverb there is on a vocal or, you know, every musical production decision and, you know, the the order of the tracks and the transitions and how long the album should be, if this song should be on the album, it's all gut. This is all I have to go on. And, um, yeah, that's all I do go on. Yeah. Yeah. The mind is the enemy, sort of, in, 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 this, in this in this stuff. It could be another rule on the, <laughs> <on> the wall. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, if you catch yourself in your mind rationalizing why something is good, it's yeah. not actually good. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing you that. You wouldn't have to work. To, Correct. <laughs> right, right. Correct. And that is just, I mean, like, that's like, I tell people all the time, that is the number one. And I'm sorry if I'm like going off no, on a no. tangent. It's just, I mean, it's simple. It's like, your key to success is just not convincing yourself something is done when it's not or that something is good when it's not. And you just have to, you know, be like a watchdog on your own mind. Do you feel, is that a place that you've gotten to or is that a place that you've always resided? Do you know what I mean? I've gotten more comfortable there. Yeah. I've always been there when I'm alone. Sometimes when I was younger and I worked with other people, I'd be afraid of disappointing them or upsetting them or some you know something like this which is probably why i like working alone yeah. but ne- yeah so i've gotten older and just matured I, i'm more, way, much more comfortable staying there with other people i want to like hey this isn't sorry i know yeah. we thought this was done but it is not mm. you know maybe that word mature is something we can explore for a minute because you know i i, I can't I, I don't i don't put much stock in in physical appearance but i do have to note mike that you have entered the beard phase of your of your career Man, you'd be happy i wasn't here two weeks ago <laughs> really it was had, two weeks ago yeah i had i know i just i've trimmed my beard oh, oh yeah i've seen it was like you had like birds living in there yeah so, it yeah. was it was all in yeah but you still got some nice some nice structure have some volume there. yeah some volume totally <laughs> Beard face. There, I love that. I, this, this to me is like maybe a, a nice metaphor for this sort of maturation that people experience as as artists. You know, like sort of entering a new phase or something, a new level, a new a new moment of creativity. I thought it'd be interesting to step back and think about the beard face a little bit you know, in a sort of <laughs> macro sense because I think it is interesting. I was thinking about the song and like it's it's you know role in the the arc of your career mike and and how we do tend to think of musicians as like having these phases you know sort of like some early like juvenile period where you're figuring stuff out some middle period where you like have your real success and then some late period where you start to explore new ideas and kind of go into something maybe more avant-garde and the composer who i think really set the template for this way of thinking about cycles of creativity was beethoven beethoven <laughs> charlie, beethoven. charlie knows the answer when in doubt the answer is beethoven. wow so you're gonna take us on a ride through some classical yeah. masters but, but a quick a quick ride yeah short trip um i don't know this is cool <laughs> keep it coming beethoven is like you know we we begin um, and he sounds very much like a Viennese. He's in Germany. He's in Austria. In Austria. Vienna. Yeah. And what year so is he's it? He's born. He's born in Germany. What um, year is it? This is. Uh, we're going to start right at the turn of the nineteenth century, eighteen eighteen oh one. Okay. Actually, so this is like. Uh, it's not that long ago. No, no, not that, not that long. Pop ago. music changes in, a, in not very long time. Yeah. No, Mozart. Mozart just died. Like. Yeah, and at the end of the seventeen, in the middle of seventeen ninety, I thought Mozart came after. No, no, Beethoven actually moved to Vienna to to study with Mozart. Who who came for Mozart? Um, who was his hero? His Mozart's hero was uh, actually uh, Johann Christian Bach. That's so something about not not okay. not Johann Sebastian, but hmm. Je- Johann Sebastian's son, hmm. Johann Christian. Okay. Hasn't made it through time as well. Yeah. Now the now the the Bach we know in his day was kind of didn't he was kind of like rediscovered much later. Gotcha. In the mid eighteen hundreds by Felix Mendelssohn actually, and then everyone was like, oh, now we love the OG Bach, you know, and then they kind of forgot about his son. Dang. So Beethoven, let's let's check in on him. He sounds in the beginning of his career, eighteen oh one. He still sounds a lot like Mozart. 
really. We can have a listen. It's very elegant. He studied with Mozart? He was going to, but then Mozart died. He ended up working with Haydn, Franz Joseph Haydn yeah. instead. So, you know, okay. don't feel too bad for him. Okay, so this is early Beethoven. Yeah. How old was he? Ballpark. In uh, 17... I think he was born in... Let's, I don't want to misquote this, but I think he was born in the 1770s, so he's probably like in his mid-20s now. Lovely, right? There's a lot that's Beethoven there. The the sequencing of melodies rather than letting melodies sort of play out, but that ending little cadence felt very mm. Mozartian. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and and that it all starts on this unison chord without any harmonies. Yeah. Mm. Um, let's let's jump ahead now to 1809. So we're just gonna listen to string, string quartets. So that was the first string quartet. Let's jump ahead to the tenth string quartet now. How old is he? So now he's like hit, approaching thirty. Hard. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's like almost falling apart. Now we're in the in the middle period, in the what's sometimes called the heroic period. This is like Beethoven becoming capital B Beethoven, and this is when he writes the Fifth Symphony. Da, 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 da. Is this Beard Phase? Uh, no, no, we're not. It's right before Beard Phase. Very good, Mike. <laughs> pre pre Beard, um, and and we can start to hear. It's like it sounds like his his style. These contrasts of like really loud and then really soft textures, yeah. really slow and then really fast textures. Right? Yeah. Okay, so now we enter beard face. This is the the uh, this this doesn't have a name. This is called the Grossa Fuga. This is known as one of his kind of craziest, most out there pieces from right right before the end of his life. This is beard face. This is beard face. Yeah. getting intense this is like it's not as accessible does this mean i'm about to die (laughs) (laughs) no and i had a professor who always who hated that we called it beethoven's late period exactly for that reason he was like beethoven didn't know he was gonna die it's not Mm. like he was like oh now i'm gonna enter my late period but he might have felt older certainly well towards the end of his life he was you know getting sick but i mean who knows he could have had more phases yeah he could have had a post beard phase (laughs) correct yeah. So, twirly mustache no, no, no. phase. Yeah. <laughs> Which no, happens. I, I don't we shave yeah. beard. I don't want I don't mean to deny any of our mortality, but I I think you've got yeah, I think you're good. Some productive years ahead. Actually, this is a great point because beard phase is is a metaphor. Anyone can enter beard phase, and beard phase is not the end of your career. Some people anyway. start in beard phase. Ooh, no. who starts in beard phase? Hmm. Let's ponder that. Iron and wine. <laughs> yeah. Why is anyone that they, they seemingly don't need the maturation process? Yeah. They just come oh, out sort of like that's interesting. Going like they just don't. Or care. what about artists who like start in like a more difficult, weird place yeah. and then become more accessible oh, over so, there? So, correct. Someone like Saint Vincent, for example, would be, so, would be yeah. perfect. Where like her early music, it's challenging and interesting and great, but out it's not there. hooky, catchy, yeah, and pop radio friendly. Oh, reverse yeah. beard phase. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, I was thinking that Beethoven might have a parallel in contemporary pop music. I can't even. Who's the answer to any other question on this show? Taylor Swift. Yep. (laughs) All right, let's start in the early phase. This is 16-year-old Taylor Swift doing teardrops on my guitar. I mean, it's a great song, but it also, it's like, you can tell it's, or she's still figuring it out, you know? 
I, to, or to me at least. I feel like this is not, you know, the crystallization. Taylor Swift really emerges, I think, uh, on an album like Red. Let's jump ahead to that. Middle face. Hero. Her- heroic face. Exactly. <laughs> Hero face. Heroica. You're going to pass Nate's class. Seriously. Pass me an A. <laughs> <laughs> Extra credit. I forgot she did country oh, yeah. when you played the first song. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. It makes me realize we just did a, a, an episode a little while ago on where country is going. And I feel like country music is catching up to red. Where it's like this blend where it's like kind of country. It's like maybe got one hint of like acoustic guitar, but it's really moving into like there's sweeping EDM stuff. Mm. And, yeah, yeah, the the Max Martin. <laughs> <laughs> so you listen to this and it's like, yeah, this is her sound. She's mastered who she is. And you can hear it in the little asides and the conversationality of the, that the takes lyrics. That Absolutely. It's like, yeah, that's Taylor Swift. These are the, the smash years, the heroic age. And then beard face. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds a lot like Jesus. Right? Oh, interesting. Right here. Yeah, I guess it kind of does. He was a killer. First time that I saw him. Wonder how many girls he had left and left haunted. But if he's a ghost, then I can be a phantom. Holding him for ransom. So now we're in the late phase, the beard phase. It's it's more challenging. It's like difficult. It's not quite as accessible. This is a pattern that I imagine artists will continue to live out again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in honor of your your beard, Mike, I want to just like quickly celebrate some other great beard phase moments in musical <laughs> history. Okay. And I think the like the classic one is the Beatles, right? You know, yes. they go oh, from yes. the clean cut. You know, boys in matching suits to the psychedelic, bearded, mustachioed uh, freaks. <laughs> let's let's listen to Strawberry Fields forever. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry I've got another great beard in uh, Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. You know, think of the Beach Boys again, clean cut, matching striped shirts. And then he goes into his sort of offbeat Charles Manson associated spacey druggy phase. Associated with Charles Manson? He he hung with Charles a little bit. Yeah. Um, But he also cut a great album in 1977, which go Google it, full on beard. Pacific Ocean Blue. Let's listen yeah. to River Song. Wow. Yeah, man. Dope. Yeah, the beard. That's dope. The beard is symbolic, right? The beard represents like acid. Your- <laughs> <laughs> Do you have something you'd like to share with us? What What does the beard represent for you, Mike? Or are we, do is that reading too uh, much into it? No, I mean, I, are we talking about the the beard that we've established <laughs> in this conversation, or mine? <laughs> Let's talk about yours. Yeah, because there's some overlap, but not right. As, totally, totally, and. I think it, for me is like um, a proclamation that I don't care about looking or being cool yeah. anymore, which I do care about, but it's like a reminder. Yeah, it's an aspirational proclamation, I guess. Cool. Maybe an affirmation. Hmm. I don't know. You probably think of a better word. Than no, me. no, I like that. Is there is and so is see there, what I'm trying to say though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there, and is there a, a musical corollary? Of course. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, people have the beard phase or post heroic phase, whatever yeah. you want to call it, um, because in the heroic phase they experience success, yeah. notoriety, prestige, attention from the opposite sex, attention from the same sex, 
And um, these are the things that are supposed to make their life full and complete. And so often they don't. At least in my case, it, it, it didn't. I, I was the same guy with different circumstances around me. Like that phrase, you know, the, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Right? That was it. I felt the same way. My experience of life, well, it didn't really get worse, but it didn't get better. But I was disillusioned by these things that I thought were the end of the road not being the end of the road. Hmm. So the question is, what, where Dave Foster Wallace got in trouble, the question is, if not that, then what? Yeah. Then what is life? If I'm not supposed to keep chasing success, prestige, notoriety, tension from hmm. same sex, tension from the opposite sex, then what do I do? And that's what the beard phase is about, is asking that question and, and like bushwhacking your way <laughs> through existence and figuring out what, what really matters, if anything really matters. Cool. So that makes me excited to hear more of your music, Mike. I, I can't think of a better note to end on than that, except maybe I have one more beard. And because yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to subscribe to the notion this is like, again, like a masculine thing. The beard is a metaphor, right? Correct. But for some artists, maybe it is a literal beard. I'm thinking of, do you know Peach's album, no. Father Effer? <laughs> no. Do you know Peach's? Yeah. Okay, let's just listen to Hit me. the song Kick It from Father Effer featuring Iggy Pop. You have to explain yourself. Okay, so the I just everyone right. I forgot we're doing a podcast because <laughs> the the cover of this album is Peaches with a full on like Abraham Lincoln style beard. Dope. So and it's this beautiful reminder. I think that everyone can have their beard face. Right on. Thanks for listening to Switched on Pop. Uh, this episode was produced by me, Nate Sloan, and me, Charlie Harding. Huge thanks to Mike Posner for joining us. That was so much fun. Uh, anything you want to plug, Mike? Any shows, records, etc.? Nah. Great. <laughs> our uh, engineering and editing is done by Bill Lance. Our community manager is Sarah Terry and designed by Luke Harris. Check out more episodes, switchedonpop.com. Uh, you can find us on Radio Public, uh, Apple Podcast App, Spotify, anywhere else you get that stuff. And send us notes on Instagram and on Twitter at switchedonpop. We love to hear your thoughts about music. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.